Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. They rise up in the morning beneath the stars so bright. Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horse is kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine. It'll get your ass moving somewhere burning daylight. Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, Daylight Burners. I'm, uh, I rearranged my recording setup here, so I'm still trying to figure out how to look at the camera. Um, anyway, welcome to the Farm and Ranch Report. This is <clears throat> Monday, February 19th, 2024. Um, so if you're listening on Patreon, you're listening to it live. Um, the rest of y'all be a day or two behind, but, um, for the purposes of, of this show, you'll be all right. Um, I'll, uh, the commodity quotes going to be, going to be outdated, but we'll start with that. I hope you all had a good weekend, by the way, we've had some pretty decent moisture. Um, nothing like last year with, thank God that was, that was miserable, um, We've had it in little spurts, um, enough to make it kind of wet and sloppy, but once again, nothing, nothing like, like last winter. So, um, so this is from National Beef Wire, (coughs) as of Friday afternoon, um, on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, live cattle traded at one, or they finished out at 187.55, that's up 195, feeder cattle at 251.025, holy shit, those are, that's up, uh, 3.925, um, man, they're high, um, hogs, uh, uh, they're, uh, up, they finished up 2.225, 
225. And on the grain side, corn finished down once uh, 125 at uh, 4.165. Uh, soybeans up 10 bucks at 11, uh, 7225. Uh, wheat finished down six and a half at uh, five dollars sixty and uh, sixty oh five. Um, soybean meal was up six ten at three forty five sixty. Uh, the Dow finished down uh, 155.18. NASDAQ was down 134.75. S&P was down 25.38. And it's the note here, stocks fall and bond yields climb as strong. Uh, U.S. PPI curbs rate cut hopes. Um, so inflation still sucks. They're, they're not going to cut interest rates Um at least for a little, probably not till the summer, I'd imagine. Gotta gotta cook them books for the election. But this is not a necessarily a politics show, so we'll we'll stay out of that. Uh, crude oil is up a dollar five at seventy nine oh eight. Ethanol's down point oh oh five. Natural gas was up uh, slightly point oh two seven. And crude oil, crude oil rises on geopolitical risks in the Middle East. Um, mostly to do with shipping. The Houthis have got people pretty well spooked of using the Red Sea and therefore the Suez Canal. So a lot of, a lot of ships due to insurance rates and just the overall risk of, of getting, getting hit with a, a drone or a cruise missile, um, is causing them to divert around the Horn of Africa. Um, bum, 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 bum. Let's see, uh, weather report, a fast-moving storm will produce accumulating snow from upstate New York into portions of New England today. Widespread lake effect snow showers will be expected on the Great Lakes through Saturday. Accumulating snow is also expected from the central plains to the mid-Atlantic. The west will remain uh, active into early next week with several rounds of rain and mountain snow. So we're, we were pretty low on snowpack this year i think we're only like 65 percent of normal and then um yeah we've been getting hit with these this atmospheric river or whatever they uh the term is for it and um yeah the el nino cycle hasn't let us down it's uh pumping up pumping in some moisture so we need it um still still a little bit lower i think the the southern part, the southwest down in Arizona, they're they're kind of right around normal snowpack after this last round. So <laughs> they'll pro probably have a good year. Um, cattle trade, uh, cash trade's down two dollars at one eighty uh, thus far for Friday. The Southern Plains negotiated cash trade has been mostly inactive on light demand. Southern Plains' most recent live uh, fob purchases was Wednesday at dollar eight or one hundred eighty. Nebraska, Nebraska, uh, Nebraska negotiated cash trade has been mostly inactive on light, light demand. I swear I'm not drunk. I don't know why I'm getting the ash in there. Uh, the most recent live fob purchases were Thursday at 180 with dress delivered purchases mostly at 287. Uh, Western Corn Belt negotiated cash trade has been slow on light demand. Most recent live FOB purchases were Thursday from uh, 180 to 182, uh, with dress deliveries traded at 285. 
Catalan feed. Uh, it's been a while since I've done one of these reports, but um, the January numbers, um, cap, cattle and calves on feed for slaughter market in the United States feedlots for feedlots with capacity of a thousand head or more totaled 11.9 million head as of January 1st, 2024. The inventory was 2% above January 1, 2020, uh, 2023. The inventory included 7.2 million steer calves, up 2% from the previous year. I'm, uh, I made that joke about glitching like Mitch, and I'm, uh, it's like, it's wearing off on me. Glitched out, trying to read 2023. Um, I'm also just not a very good out loud reader, so, um, bear with me. Uh, this group accounted for 60% of the total inventory. Heifers and heifer calves accounted for 4.74 million, up 2% from 2023. Placements in the feedlot during December totaled 1.7 million head, 4% below 2022. Net placements were 1.64 million head during December. Placements of cattle and calves weighing less than 600 pounds were 440,000 head. Uh, six weights were 410,000. Seven weights were 380,000, eight weights were 279,000, nine weights, uh, 110,000 head, and uh, 1,000 and up was 85,000. Marketings of fed cattle during December totaled 1.73 million head, or 1% 1 below 2022. Other disappearance totaled 60,000 head during December, 11% above 2022. Um, drought monitor. Last week, another round of Pacific storms swept across the west, bringing rain and mountain snow, as I mentioned before. Storms left over three feet of snow in the northern Arizona mountains before dropping more of a foot of snow on, on the, in the mountains of Colorado and New Mexico. After a slow start to the year, basin snowpack in the southwest has returned to near-normal conditions. Southwestern states saw improvement to short and long-term drought conditions in the northwest. Basin snowpack remains below normal with some of the worst conditions in the in the northern Rocky Mountains. So we are um, in this little corner of Nevada here. If you can see my cursor, there's Lake Tahoe and we're down here. So we're um, in a, in a abnormally dry, uh, so not... Not quite in a drought. Coming out of it, so um, like I said, the the snowpack has increased over the past week or so, and uh, looks like looks like we'll continue to get some more. So it'll probably be a good year if if I had to guess. Um, beef sales were down nineteen percent from the previous week and eighteen percent from the prior four week average. Um, beef production down three percent. And let's see what Dr. Andrew Griffith has to say on the livestock comments. Uh, one may even predict calf prices will not decline much seasonally into the, in the fall due to the lower quantity of calves that will be available compared to the past several years. The market may, may be more intriguing. The market that may be more intriguing is the female market, including bred heifers, bred cows, and, and even open cows. Industry participants often come to an acceptable value on bread heifers as this is a common transaction. Um, breeding stock's going to get really expensive, I would imagine, as <laughs> as the drought tapers off. Um, it, it'll, uh, you can, I would bet you can kind of expect, um, you know, a lot like 
it was it 2014 towards the end of the uh the drought in the in the great plains area really really finally came out of it and uh it was a bad drought and uh cow herd was way down and we're we're down even further than that now and <clears throat> as uh as the moisture continues uh you know being an el, el nino cycle it probably i don't i can't predict the weather i'm not a weatherman um I think I'd be good at it though. Just pointing over here. Over here. You know, uh I think I'd be good at it. I don't I don't have the tits for it anymore though, so probably out on that. Um it could be a radio weatherman though, but then you wouldn't get to point and I mean you could, but no nobody's gonna see it, so just do ninja moves while I'm reading the, the weather. Um Anyway, that's that kind of does it for the market report. It's uh I I don't know, it's low low cow herd numbers. Um you know, that's low supply, so it, it's gonna it's not a not a huge surprise really that <laughs> that cattle prices are gonna be high. Um and, and those female numbers are gonna gonna be way up. I remember we sold some some bread heifers um when that would have been like 20 2013 2014 for for something like 3500 bucks a head um and they were they were nice heifers for sure uh bred bred to good bulls ah well the bulls kind of iffy i they were all right i guess um high dollar anyways but yeah it, it was it was a stupid amount of money that people were were paying um at the time, so I would expect something along those lines. I'm not a not a market economist or, or anything like that, but just judging by by historical precedents, I suppose that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. So uh, next story here is um, the EPA is allows farmers to use existing dicamba supply amid legal uncertainty. So the decision comes less than a week after a federal court in Arizona revoked approval for three popular weed killers. Um, so I'll just read this this story pretty much in uh, in full, but um, it brings up a uh, kind of a lot of issues that that. Um, American agriculture has particularly on the the grain side of things but it also on on the the dairy and not not as much on the beef I'm not I'm not as familiar I'm not familiar at all with the the pork and the and the chicken industry other than that they're you know highly concentrated so <clears throat> the the farm side of things like the seed the seed uh companies and whatnot it's also very concentrated, but the the outfits not as much. Like there's a lot more smaller farm farming operations. I mean they're fewer every day, but um, as opposed to like the like the chicken farmers and the and the hog hog farmers, where like the the big boys own pretty much all of that. So um, 
Well, uh, we'll see. So the U.S. Uh, EPA on Wednesday said farmers will be able to use some existing supplies of dicamba-based weed killers after a restrictive court ruling sent producers scrambling to rethink their planting decisions. Dicamba weed killers for genetically modified cotton and soybean can be used or sold if they were, quote, already in possession of growers or in the channels of trade and outside the control of pesticide companies. So if they had already sent them out to the local dealers or the the, the farmers that already produced, uh, purchased the seed that was resistant to dicamba and whatnot, you, they're essentially saying you can you can use up the stock that has already been has already left the warehouse. Um, that doesn't say that, like the stuff that's still in inventory for these these companies, I guess, can't be used. But the stuff that they've already sent out to their local dealers and and the and the farmers can go ahead and be used up. Um, retailers can still sell products in their possession for the 2024 20, growing season until mid June or July, depending depending on the state. Um, the decision comes a little less than a week after a federal court in Arizona revoked approval for three dicamba-based weed killers, saying the F- the EPA violated public comment rules and understated the risks of the herbicide. The weed killers produced by Bayer, Syngenta, and BASF, um, kind of usual suspects. On um, The only one not in there is uh, Monsanto. Um, are sprayed on dicamba-tolerant crops and require farmers to produce, pr- purchase genetically modified seeds. Farm groups welcome the decision, saying it provides certainty for the 2024 growing season. Many farmers had already purchased seeds or made planting decisions, and a lack of dicamba could have sig- significantly pushed up production costs. We are grateful to EPA for hearing farmers and ranchers' concerns and addressing them quickly to ensure we have access to critical tools needed to protect our crops this season. Uh, American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval. I like the name, but it's not a really serious name. I don't know if I could take the guy serious, but I do like the name. Come here, Zippy. Let me get you a beer, Zippy. Zippy Duval, hell of a guy. I don't know anything about him. Uh, who had petitioned the agency for an existing stock order said in a statement, um, quote, without EPA stepping in, farmers and ranchers across the country were facing uncertainty and financial risk. Dicamba was first allowed to be sprayed on cotton and soybean crops in 2016, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimated 43% of, that's a big percentage, 43% of soybean acreage planted with was planted with dicamba-tolerant seeds in 2018. So just two years, and they had almost a 50% market share um, of, of the soybean acreage. So that's that's wild. Environmental groups have said the expanded use of dicamba has da- damaged surrounding croplands and natural habitats. I'm not surprised they said that. I would one. I do wonder what the what the dangers are surrounding this this particular herbicide. Um, Bayer, BASF, and Syngenta acknowledged the EPA ruling in separate statements with BASF, noting it continues to re- review its legal options. So somebody will probably um, appeal that. Um, we welcome the EPA's swift action, a Bayer spokesman said in an email to Agricultural Dive. Our top priority is that growers have seen the products and support they need to have a successful season. So 
apparently this this one got pushed through so 20 it was in 2016 so that would have been uh during obama's uh administration uh trump didn't take office till 2017 <clears throat> and i wonder if this was one that with uh, trump's epa it would have not made it through i i find that hard to believe trump trump's uh you know the pro business guy so I would imagine he would want to push it through. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Trump knows two shits about agriculture. I don't think most of these people know anything about agriculture, but that's, that's neither here nor there, or I guess it's kind of, it's kind of everywhere. It's neither here nor there. It's everywhere. Maybe I'll make that a shirt, like make it real, like real fluffy, uh, warm fuzzies type feeling shirt, you know, with, rainbows and unicorns and uh yeah and then we'll we'll have that it's it's neither here nor there it's everywhere and then real small underneath in parentheses it'll just say dick dick is everywhere um anyway that that's neither here nor there um i i don't know exactly what the what the risk is for using this stuff but I would uh, I would lean on the side of it probably is not great. I'm sure it works good. Um, Roundup um, glyphosate works really good, but it's also pretty sure it causes cancer. Um, and it's uh, leaching into the groundwater, which um, it, it kind of amazes me. Uh, a lot of farmers' attitudes when it comes to that. And you're just like, ah. I mean... It says on the label, don't ingest it. And by by it leaching in the groundwater, you're kind of almost forced to ingest it. And that's seems like to me that's not a good thing. But anyways, um I would I would venture to guess there's something about that with, with this product as well. And uh but I don't know. That's just me speculating. I don't I don't know the, the ins and outs. I don't know the deets. Um but anyways, it is uh, authorization has been revoked, but you got one more planting season to to get it on there. Uh, moving on, the USDA launches the Climate Corps to advance sustainable agriculture, and how um, uh, all these Democrat presidents just want to be the next FDR and create all these programs that um and just it's all government jobs so it's just everybody who doesn't work for the government and even the people that do like even though you're paid by with stolen money they'll they'll steal money out of that too so that they can t can continue to pay your salary and then all the other bullshit that we use but it, it just this is another like a new deal type and they, they mention it in in here several times. So the Biden administration will mobilize more than 100 young people in partnership with AmeriCorps to help farmers improve soil health and adopt climate smart production practices. Uh, so that luckily there's only a hundred. Um, but anyway, so get ready for a, a hundred different, probably fat um gender amorphous um 
purple, blue, green, some some sort of wild color of hair. Um, pronouns in their bio. Um, probably introduce themselves with their pronouns, and um, will most likely get angry if you don't acknowledge the pronouns. Um, just based on the hiring practices of the administration. Uh, this is what I'm, and there'll probably be a black lesbian in there. Um, that most likely will know nothing about agriculture. I, I'd bet, venture to bet um, like 85 of the 100 or so, I'll call it 85% um, that they hire will know nothing about agriculture, but they're going to go educate the American farmer on sustainable practices. Um, the Biden administration is recruiting the next generation of conservation leaders to advance regenerative agriculture and other climate-smart farming practices across U.S. farms. USDA on Monday said it will create create paid service opportunities for more than 100 young people to promote sustainable agriculture as part of the Working Lands Climate Corps. The initiative is part of the American Climate Corps, an effort to train more than 20,000 young people and prepare them for careers in a clean energy economy. That's lovely. Uh, millions of Americans were put to work in the 1930 to restore the nation's public lands as part of the Civilian Conservation Corps. Now the Biden administration hopes to revive central components of the program to create workforce opportunities for a new generation. So it's just New Deal um, repackaged. Participants in the Working Lands Climate Corps will conduct outreach and educate farmers about the availability of assistance programs to help transition to climate-smart agriculture. Uh, so this is from Ali Zaidi, National Climate Advisor to Joe Biden, says, quote, USDA's Working Lands Climate Corps demonstrates how the president's historic initiative is on the front lines of addressing some of the most urgent challenges facing our agriculture committees, uh, ensuring that farmers and ranchers continue to play a central and growing role in developing an innovative climate uh, solutions. Um, the first cohort of members will serve with state and local organizations that support the adoption of climate smart agricultural practices. The National Association of Conservation Districts will organize trainings for core members on topics including climate smart agriculture practices, conservation and resilience planning, and environmental justice, and outreach to farmers and rural communities. So there you go, environmental justice, which means you gotta. You got to get all the gays in there. You got to get all the all the browns, but not the ones that work in the field, but the the other browns that are doing outreach or something. Um, you got to get the blacks in there. Same way though, not the not the actual working farmers, uh, black farmers or farmhands. Um, no, it'll be some college educated sociology degree or gender studies or you know whatever liberal arts degree there is, and uh, they'll be preaching to you constantly about equity and um, carbon credits or something. Who knows? Who knows what this training is going to be? But I, I bet you it'll have, it'll deal with just about everything except farming and ranching. Uh, would be, be my guess, anyways. Um, call me cynical, but 
That'd be my guess. Um, bum, bum, bum. USDA is one of the seven in agencies that signed a memorandum of understanding uh, to create the American Climate Corps, an initiative which which puts young people on the paths to jobs and conservation, clean energy, and climate resilience. Climate resilience. What does that mean? Like, we should be teaching human resilience because the climate is what it is. I mean, maybe we, we have some effects on the ground uh but we don't we don't really change the weather as far as i know um people can can correct me if i'm wrong on that but like i said i i've i've used this um example many many times but it, i i think i stand by it. it it's it's pretty demonstrable um event in human history where we definitely made the effects of the weather way worse than they they would have been normally with the dust bowl plowed up all the topsoil in the great plains and um yeah then the wet the the rain shut off and the wind turned on and it was real shitty for about a decade um longer but the the real the real bulk of it lasted about a decade and that it was it was not not good not good i mean so much so that i mean it really it really made not, uh, an impression on the people that that lived through it i mean it it was it's it's part of culture in the in the great plains so um but i i don't i don't know what climate resilience means like the climate's going to do what it does um, I think we should be teaching, like, I think, uh, climate resilient farming, maybe. I mean, that, like, drought resistant crops, uh, all that, you know, water retention, uh, <coughs> building up of the topsoil. I think a lot of these regenerative farming practices are probably, um, probably really good. Um, but you can you can kind of count on when the federal government gets involved it you know fuck it up somehow um uh more than 50,000 young people have expressed interest in the climate corps program since it was announced in September bet you they're all activists uh USDA's natural resources conservation service is spearheading the working lands program in partnership with AmeriCorps the core network and the association uh national association of conservation districts born amid the dust bowl crisis of the 30s civilian conservation corps revitalized farmlands across the nation today farmers are facing a new threat climate change and droughts said americorps ceo michael smith adding that the program will quote mobilize americans across the country to restore soil health promote sustainable farming practices and tackle the disproportionate impacts that climate change has on the farming industry and our food what sounds like you could get your just based off of the dicamba stuff um one of the things you could do is make sure that the the EPA and the FDA and all, all these all these organizations that are supposed to determine whether stuff is safe could do a better job of actually determining whether stuff is safe. So then you don't have this crisis where um, you you have almost half of the soybean growers, uh, almost half of the acreage shift over to, to these uh, seeds that are dicamba resistant 
only to have the rug pulled out from under them, you know, seven, eight years later, which is what happened here. And, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't, I don't really blame the farmers on this. Um, cause, uh, they're, they're going with what they know. Like, like, Hey, this is, this is gonna, this is gonna really save a lot of time, save a lot of money. And I, I get, I get that a hundred percent. And they're going off the, the fact that the EPA, uh, pushed it through and it, and now it's, you know, considered safe. Uh, it's approved for use. And now just, nope, no, sir. You guys didn't do it right. And, and I, I won't be surprised if it gets, uh, if, it, if they go ahead and put it back on the market at some point, but I don't know, that seems like a, a bigger, bigger issue than, than a lot of this stuff like you know it, that that would make more of a difference than sending uh a hundred lefties out into rural america to uh get mad with at a bunch of old farmers because they don't use your pronouns and uh they don't want to hear somebody who's never worked on a farm lecture them about the the virtues of sustainable regenerative farming or whatever um so, um, as, like I said, call me a cynic, but I imagine that one's going to be, going to be not, um, well received. Uh, so this next, next topic is, um, the FDA is to withdraw policy on animal feed additives slashing red tape for startups. As new companies develop breakthrough to tackle climate change, the agency is streamlining the process to bring those innovations to market. Um, the FDA on Friday said it intends to pull a policy governing approval of animal feed additives, opening up the market for startups that make supplements to reduce cattle emissions or enhance food safety. Uh, the center, center for the agency's center for veterinary medicine will withdraw its policy manual for regulating additives, which was meant to determine whether supplements should be legally classified as food or drugs. The move is a part of a larger administrative effort to streamline the approvals process for innovative feed additives. So they're going to withdraw its policy manual for regulating additives. Um, I wonder if that means Zilmax comes back on the market. Um, or is it just for startups and these these new feed additives? Because... Uh, if you remember, Zilmax was it was a beta agonist, is what it was classified as. It was a three-day withdrawal on it, and it was um, a cactus. And I know there's a lot of other feedlots that used it. Um, Optiflex was another another version um, of that. Uh, it was a, not the same thing, but it was pretty pretty similar. Um, but essentially, what it did, you put it, uh, you put them, your cattle on about a, a month before slaughter, and it it flipped a switch in the cell that that uh, made <laughs> made it produce uh, protein cells rather than fat cells. So your cattle would get um, would yield a lot better. Uh, you'd have a lot less fat on them. I mean, you'd still get the marbling, but you you would get a lot more get get a lot more meat on the bone um the test showed it was like it made the the meat slightly tougher but it wasn't really noticeable um on average so um but then there was a 
there was a big mess up where I think it was a withdraw date got um got fudged somewhere and uh and a set of cattle that were not clear to uh to slaughter ended up getting shipped and slaughtered. And because of that, they ended up pulling it off the market. So I wonder if that if that will apply anywhere here. Um, I don't know. Producers commonly use additives such as probiotics and prebiotic, prebiotics to boost animal health. However, as livestock producers face pressure to take action on sustainability, a new class of startups has emerged focused on slashing emissions through other changes to, uh, to animal diets. Uh, CH4 Global, which has developed a seaweed-based supplement to reduce methane from cow burps, said in a statement that the FDA's policy on additives has had created a multi created multi-year approval delays. The agency's withdrawal is a major milestone for U.S. agriculture that brings the company closer to commercializing its product. Regulatory advancements such as the recent one made by the FDA will open do new doors for products like ours, enabling us enabling us to contribute more significantly to global efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, empower farmers to unlock new revenue streams, and support sustainable farming practices. The company said in a statement. Um, I don't know how that empowers farmers to unlock new revenue streams unless you're going to be a seaweed farmer. Um. I don't know. I also wonder if this uh, has any effect on the hemp-based uh, feed that that uh, several people, I know Colorado State did a, a big study on it, so um, I wonder if that has any effect um, on there, because that, that's a new and innovative um, feed additive, so we'll, I guess that remains to be seen. The FDA is working with Congress on clear on a clear regulatory pathway for additives that reduce pathogens, affect byproducts of the digestive process, or impact the micro microbiome of an animal. Lawmakers in December introduced the Innovative Feed Act, which would create a new category of animal feed and provide manufacturers with clear regulatory guidance. I strongly doubt that. Um... Moving on to the meat side of things, um, there's been a slew of state laws passed over the past year or so, either banning or regulating how lab-grown meat is uh, labeled. Um, I think I think Florida banned it outright. The the Italians banned it, and uh, there's been several other states in in the U.S. that have uh, have pass some sort of law either banning banning it completely or um passing a labeling that's not it's you're not allowed to label it as meat if i if i if i recall correctly um state lawmakers around the country have introduced laws to prohibit the sale of alternative protein uh but proponents of the namesake products say their tactics are unconstitutional so the the fake meat people are pushing back on all this uh, the cultivated meat industry made great progress in 2023, with July marking its official regulatory green light when the USDA and FDA gave Upside Foods and Eat Just permission to sell in the U.S. Uh, since then, though, the face has yet to make the space has yet to make significant gains as capital funding has been drying up 
and the cost of production remains high. Since approval, both companies began selling their product at exclusive restaurants in the U.S., Upside Foods at Bar Kren in San Francisco, and Eat Just at uh, China Chilcano, a Jose Andres restaurant in the nation's capital. As of this week, though, neither restaurants serve the product. Womp, womp, womp. Um, since the industry's first introduction on the market, consumer education has been on high has been high on the list when it comes to priorities. And recent bash, backlash from both legislators and organizations may show that companies have a lot of educating still to do. A growing list of states have introduced legislation that focuses on the labeling of cultivated meat. Arizona was the most recent to do so in January with a bill that sought to prohibit the labeling of any products as meat that is not derived from livestock or poultry and instead were produced in in a laboratory from cultured animal cells. Uh, This reflects a... So this is from Jack Hubbard, the executive director for the center of the Center for the Environment and Welfare. This reflects a growing chorus of voices concerned about lab-grown meat, the lack of long-term health and nutritional studies, and the use of immortalized cells. Immortalized cells. That's a a weird, weird term. Immortalized. So they don't die? You made them immortal? How do we do that? Can, Can I get some of that for myself? Like lab-grown Matt McKinley. That'd be a fucking nightmare, wouldn't it? Um, Hubbard also said, as the industry matures, you may see an unlikely partnership with parents, natural food advocates, and farmers in the agricultural community, and people skeptical of something like this to come together and spark debates and discussion. I think that's absolutely true. Um, <clears throat> I've uh, I've noticed a lot over... And I've I've been talking about it for shit coming up on five years now I've been doing this podcast and and I remember pounding the table uh early on in 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 some of these episodes about um the direct to consumer stuff because I I'm just I I I saw a a clear market uh, adjustment where people are are starting to get more and more distrustful of of the big conglomerates, uh, you know, whether it's Walmart or Kroger or, <clears throat> you know, McDonald's, any of this stuff there. Um, and then also of the, the USDA and uh, who, who sets the, like the nutritional guidelines for, for the school lunch program and, and all, all that stuff. You know, we had the, the food pyramid growing up, which, you know, said you needed to have like, 11 servings of grain every day which is like that's that's not good for you that's really really not good for you that that's way way too much bread and pasta and and what where, where they you you really get it is like pop tarts and, and and just bullshit like that stuff that's that's essentially poison it tastes really good don't get me wrong i'm not not knocking the taste but it the nutritionally it's just it's not good for you um but i i've become way more hippie-ish when it comes to my food um over the past several years because 
you, you look around and you see the amount of people that are just like truly obese, like the amount of people on little motor carts in uh, the, the you know, electric scooters in Walmart and the grocery stores and, and just the amount of, of overweight people in general, just fat people everywhere. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm, maybe I'm fat shaming. I think maybe we need some more fat shaming, but I'm not, I'm not trying to talk shit really. I'm, uh, I'm just saying that it, it, it's true. It's very noticeable when, when you, when you get out and about. And, uh, so I've, I've made it a concerted effort to not allow my kids to eat a whole lot of that nonsense because it's, I don't, I don't want them to, to have, you know, childhood obesity. And, um, yeah, and then made a made a concerted effort to focus on on physical fitness because it's well, it helps you live longer and and you're able to do more stuff. It's like there's literally no drawback to it. Um, sure, you could get injured, but you're less likely to get injured the more in shape you are. So it just like there's there's literally no downside to lifting weights and running and just moving your body in some some form or fashion to, to break a sweat. It's, it's, there's no downside. Um, but with it, you gotta, you gotta watch what you eat too. And, and it's really tough because most of the food out there that that's produced here in America is just, it's really not great from the processed stuff in, in particular. So the, the more you have like whole foods, you know, um, fresh vegetables, meat that that you know like whole cuts and, and hamburger and stuff and particularly from from a source that you know and trust is it's becoming it's it's more than just a fad people are really are really concerned about it. of course price plays a, a big a big part in that but uh there's there's been a lot of progress towards that and you have some kind of strange bedfellows with with hippies and and like sub, white suburban karens that that uh you know are also legitimately concerned about their their kids well-being so they're they're going to farmers markets and they're trying to find stuff that's that's raised local and i think that's a good thing you know um there's a there's a lot of operations that are not set up to do uh to market their stuff that way but i would encourage them to figure out what they need to do to to change that at least to have some some sort of their their operation uh shifted that way i mean it's uh it's a relatively untapped market for for the most part and uh and i think that 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 market share is going to grow particularly as the millennials are now the majority or the biggest um share of the with of the purchasing power you know my my generation is now <laughs> in their their mid 30s to to mid forties. And, um, it, it just, uh, common sense will tell you like that. If that's, if it's the millennials that are driving this, uh, this kind of farm to table type of approach. Um, and they're the biggest share of the market. Like you might have to change the way you, you market your stuff. It just, I don't know. So you, with that comes you, uh, you're, you get your gruff farmers and ranchers that are are used to not dealing with city people now actively have to to deal with city people for to, to sell their products should they so i mean take somebody like john o'day i bet he sells some some stuff in the denver area and uh i bet 
I bet some of those people he's not really looking forward to talking to at times. But um, if he if you establish a, a good a good customer base there, and and that then that leads to word of mouth, and word of mouth's the best advertising. I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's a uh, it's a fascinating s- cycle that we're we're going through, and it's uh, there there's kind of a big push to go back towards traditional um old school agriculture with that's that's more of a, a natural based stuff so it's um i think this hubbard guy was was right on the mark when he said that it's you know you see an unlikely partnership and I, I think that's true so um he says most of the coverage around cultivated meat thus far has been about the intersection of technology and food and not enough on the questions that i think consumers will want to be answered the use of immortalized cells in food has been done before, and the envir- environmental benefits of cultivated meat are worth questioning as well. Yeah, like what's the energy? <clears throat> what's the energy process to to cook one of those those fake steaks? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, CEW launched a campaign in December 2023 to educate the public about technology used to develop uh, cultivated meat. The campaign also features a website labmeat.com a video addressing how the product is manufactured and paid digital ads on twitter uh facebook and tiktok um twitter formerly known or x formerly known as twitter um debate and discussion is warranted especially now and i think that no one uh more than consumers will benefit from that uh, discussion said hubbard so well put sir i think that's um I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm generally opposed to the banning of it uh, unless it's like truly toxic. Um, but I, I think, I, I think it's, uh, it does raises a raise alarms because you see how these, these big ag, uh, corporations, uh, tend to go. They find something that's, that's cheap. And then like, it, it makes a lot of sense for these, these packers to, to invest in this technology because if, if they can just grow their own meat in, in these labs, uh, then they don't have to deal with the cattlemen anymore. And that's the biggest thorn in their side is, is the cattlemen. And, and granted they've gained the, gained the system so that it, I mean, even the, even the cattlemen are not much of a threat to them anymore because the, the system is so rigged in their favor. But, um, yeah, if they don't have to deal with them at all, I'm sure they'd love that. Um, and then that, it just, that leads to a whole set of problems. I mean, but it, it could, uh, it could lead to the, like a whole separate, um, like sub market of, uh, of, uh, traditional, you know, meat products where they actually come from an animal. Like the animal is grown rather than just an, an individual cut of meat. Um, so I don't know. It's um, it's a it's a strange one, but I think the market will uh, will have uh, the best chance of solving that because I, I I truly believe that most people are not gonna gonna want it to eat lab grown meat. I think they're they're not real comfortable with that yet. I don't know. May I could be wrong, but I, I think I think uh the uphill side is on on their end rather than people that 
that grow meat animals. Um, moving on, um, this one's kind of kind of gross. Um, but I mean, it's Tyson. So what'd you expect? Uh, Tyson rejects shareholder call for an audit into child labor allegations. Uh, despite an investigation from the U S department of labor, critics have accused the meat and poultry processing giant of not taking the claims seriously enough. Uh, shareholders and labor groups are accusing Tyson foods of not taking seriously enough reports of children, children being employed at some of its meat packing plants. The meat and poultry processing giant, along with competitor Purdue Farms, are under federal investigation for alleged violations by the U.S. Department of Labor. Last week, Tyson held a shareholder meeting at its headquarters in Arkansas. Members from the labor advocacy group uh, Vinceramos, which protested at the company last October in response to the child labor allegations, attended the meeting. Faith-based organization the American Baptist Home Mission Society, a Tyson shareholder, was also in attendance. Both groups demanded the company conduct an audit into child labor at its plants and provide more transparency about how it is com combating the issue. Quote, the recent revelations of illegal middle school child labor in Tyson's plants performing and being injured from hazardous, hazardous cleaning duties combined with allegations of vulnerable immigrant children catching chickens at Tyson's contracted chicken farms are unacceptable. The ABHM, ABHMS said in a statement, um, I was just picturing a little Guatemalan kid just chasing, furiously chasing chickens around. In one of those big chicken houses. <laughs> it's not not funny. It's sad. It's kind of funny. <laughs> the image, anyways. Um, but as far as this goes, like they they're essentially using child slave labor to to clean their plants. There it's a contractor that that hired on and they've they found like a 13 year old girl that got injured while uh, doing like a late night uh, deep clean of the plant, if I remember correctly. Um, and that could be speculation on my part because uh, just from my personal experience in in the meat packing industry is, you know, it was, uh, it was for a company that produced uh, lean, finely textured beef or pink slime. I wasn't on in the kill plan itself, but... Um, we when we did the 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 cleaning of of our our plant there it was at like four o'clock in the morning and um yeah and it was it was all people who were of age that that worked there at the time um that this yeah it was like a 13 year old girl and and the chemicals they use are are really really pretty dangerous. I mean, you got to have a, like a full wetsuit and, you know, chemical resistant wetsuit. You got to have goggles. Uh, I mean the, the whole nine yards, it, cause it's, uh, it's very caustic chemicals. So, um, yeah. And who knows where this, this girl came from? Like did did she get smuggled across the border by a coyote? Did she get, put together with a random assembly of people that, you know, resembled a family. And so they get, 
they get preferential treatment at the border and then she gets picked up on the other side by some some sleazy asshole that uh that has a contract with these Tyson plants and uh they don't they don't really care how he gets his labor. They're just like, ah, oh, here we're gonna pay you. You bring the crew in and, and do your thing. And it turns out there's a bunch of illegal immigrant kids doing the work. Like it it's it's pretty fucking gross. Um and you see it a lot in uh in the dairy business too with their i mean you know they they're uh heavily dependent on on migrant labor uh or immigrant labor and a lot of times illegal immigrant labor um they're not maybe they're checking papers um but chances are these people have somebody else's papers um it's a it's a whole it's a whole deal i mean it, it's uh it's an ugly business, um, different parts of the, the ag business. So, and this is just, just one example, but, um, at the meeting last Thursday, Tyson investors voted not to conduct a further audit into its child labor prevention efforts and a majority voted against the proposal. Um, uh, Magali Lacoli, Lacoli, the director of Vincermos said in an interview that Tyson did not engage with investors who wanted to ask questions about the proposed audit at the meeting. She also stated the company did not provide paper to write down questions. It's pretty much just 20 minutes, chop, chop, chop. It's all done, Lacoli said. It's not really a space for the company to engage with investors. In an emailed statement, a Tyson spokesperson dismissed uh, Verisamo's allegations company characterized Lacoli's assertion that there were no pens and papers available for attendees as simply false. Tyson maintains that it has a zero tolerance policy for child labor. So you'd think if you got these allegations, you'd want to do an investigation. This tells me that like, nothing's going to come of it. They're, the Department of Labor is going to slap them with a fine or something. And they, they don't want to do an internal investigation because then they're going to have to produce a report. So they just vote that down and uh, let the DO Department of Labor do what they're going to do. And um, some some palms will probably get greased and uh, Tyson will get a little slap on the wrist and uh, they'll continue operating as normal status quo. So that would be my guess. Um Next story here is Congress must act on Prop 12 to avoid chaos in the marketplace, says Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. Agriculture Secretary expressed doubt that lawmakers could effectively tackle the issue without running into difficult questions about states' rights. Um, this is an interesting one. So Prop 12 was that measure in California that it was a referendum or state question, and so the the voters passed it and it um, outlawed uh, farrowing crates in pork. And um, <laughs> then it was um, it was taken to court and eventually went up to the Supreme Court, where they ruled in favor of California on Prop Twelve and uh, saying, "Well, we'll get into the story here. They they discuss it a little bit." Uh, the U.S. meat market could descend into chaos unless 
Federal lawmakers take action on state animal welfare requirements, such as California's Prop 12. Uh, Agriculture, Tom, uh, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack said at a congressional hearing on Wednesday. Proposition 12, which governs housing requirements for pigs, was approved by California voters in 2018 and upheld by the Supreme Court in 2023. As more states regulate farm production practices, there is a possibility of 50 different sets of rules and regulations, which obviously creates concerns for producers, Vilsack said. If we don't take the issue seriously, we're going to have chaos in the marketplace, Vilsack said, because there's nothing preventing any state from doing what California does. Uh, Pork producers say California and others pursuing animal welfare requirements are running afoul of state inter- of interstate commerce rules that restrict states from impairing trade outside their boundaries. Cost to comply with a single state's regulation, stakeholders say, could lead to price volatility across the entire U.S. market. The pork industry is already grappling with weak demand and high supply, a situation exacerbated by difficulties entering the California market in the wake of Prop 12. Producers unable to sell their products in California have flooded the market in other states, <clears throat> dampening prices, according to House Agriculture Chairman Glenn Thompson. Uh, however, as the Supreme Court ruled last May, only Congress can regulate interstate commerce, commerce, although lawmakers have discussed addressing the industry's Prop 12 concerns in an upcoming farm bill. Vilsack uh, expressed doubt that Congress could tackle the issue without opening up more difficult conversations around state rights. States' rights. Quote, it is a little bit difficult to create consistency within this Congress and within this country on this issue of states' rights, Vilsack said, because if you apply this standard, you're going to have to discuss some of the more difficult issues, social issues, guns, abortion, etc. Um, so I don't know what he's proposing they do like i don't i don't know what his uh his guidance as the secretary secretary of agriculture is i know like, standardize it but are are you going to standardize it in favor of california or are you going to standardize it in favor of everyone else um i i don't know what what to think on this um this farrowing crate deal because i'm i'm not a i'm not a pig guy um seems like they have a legitimate purpose um and i but you know they they raised pigs for eons before um the invention of the farrowing crate and, and got along just fine i suppose i'm probably probably not as efficient but i i, I don't know I so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve judgment on it except for the fact that it's California doing it so I'm pretty much always a no on anything that the California government proposes and uh, or or these uh, these like state referendums that they push through because they 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 vote to impose taxes on themselves all the time all the time it, it astounds me but so. Based off of that, this tells me that Prop 12 sucks. Um, but I will say it it raises some economic opportunities for people in Oregon. I don't know what Oregon's laws are, but Nevada, Arizona, right on the state on the, the state line of California, just set up uh, a pork booth and uh, and and maybe sell it at like a lower level. And uh, I don't know. Uh, 
it would be considered bootlegging, taking it back across California state lines. Um, dude, that's a great movie idea. Like remake Smokey and the Bandit, but with a hog trucker. Yeah. Yeah. And then they've got so, I mean, it, the, the, the story writes itself. We, we could, we could do something. Anybody want to work on this project with me? I'm, I'm going to Porky and the Bandit. Yeah, Porky and the Bandit. Fuck. We got a winner here, guys. Porky and the Bandit. That's uh, that's the next next big hit trucker movie. Um, I know a lot of you dirtbag truckers will love it because because uh, you don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of lot of shine um, until recently. I mean, you had like the Canadian trucker protest, and there's been like some supposed other American trucker protests going to happen, and they didn't really pan out. Um, but you truckers are mostly dirt bags, so I, I have a feeling you'll 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 like this movie. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be dedicated to you dirt bags. I mean, because we're we're going for like the dirtiest of the dirt bags, the hog. Hog truckers, Porky and the Bandit. I fuck. I amaze myself with my brilliance sometimes, uh, and I don't say that often. I'm not a I'm not a braggart, but I, that's a good idea. Porky and the Bandit. Uh, bum, bum, bum. I yet to be released preliminary al- analysis of the by the U. Wow, let's start over. Son of a bitch. I swear I'm not drunk. Not this is water, straight water. Ah, a yet-to-be-released preliminary analysis by the USDA shows certain pork prices have risen as much as 41% since Prop 12 was implemented on January 1st, Thompson said. I'm telling you, roadside pork stands on the right on the California line, Porky and the Bandit, westbound and down, you know, you just got a, just got a crazy methed-out hog trucker, Outrunning a bunch of Smokies, you know, through the Nevada desert, just hauling ass. Just, I mean, and then you will have a Tesla as the as the bandit car, you know, the the blocker. But it it doesn't work out. Hijinks ensue because the the battery dies, and then they're in Ely, Nevada, and there's no there's no Tesla charging station, and uh and then they they buy by this they 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 revamp they find an old Trans Am in Ely Nevada and uh, hijinks ensue. I mean, come on, the the story writes itself. Porky and the Bandit, Porky and the Bandit. Um, Bill Sachs said the USDA has made some efforts to provide relief to the pork industry with the agency purchasing uh, $100 million worth of products in its feeding programs. The USDA is also focused uh, on building up local and regional farm chain supply chains, which allow smaller producers to lean away from a national distribution model. All right, well, that I can get behind. Um, if the, I saw the other day that the USDA is going to allow, like, remote grading of beef and or of of meat products in general and so like that that's one of the big things of of interstate commerce is you have to have a usda inspection to be able to sell your meat across state lines at a retail level 
And, um, and to do that, you have to have a USDA inspection. Um, Thomas Massey introduced the Prime Act here uh, a couple of years ago. I was a big advocate for it and it made a lot of sense, which means it went nowhere. Um, but the more we can bolster like these small and mid-sized uh, packing plants to to do more business in in their local communities that 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 makes the overall food supply chain more resilient uh, as we saw in during covid it's uh it's pretty fragile when you throw a big shock to the system I mean, every, everything's fragile but when, when you have only a small number of these giant packing plants doing the bulk of the the processing of the country's meat meat products it it presents a real problem when you have uh when you have a deal like covid going around so um anything they can do to, to shore up that i'm i'm in favor of so uh and he says i think we're gonna go through a bumpy period here where farmers have to basically make a decision about whether they're going to participate in that market or whether they're gonna go, they're going to be more localized. Vilsack said, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, is it gonna hurt? Gonna suck? Probably, but overall, um, it, it. I don't know. I think it, it'll uh, it'll lead to good stuff. So, um, next story here is from the Fence Post. Um, so Arizona Arizona rancher files suit alleging Antiquities Act abuse. Uh, Arizona rancher Chris Heaton of the Y Cross Ranch has filed a suit in the U.S. District Court against the Biden administration, claiming their use of the Antiquities Act to designate one, one million acres of land in Arizona as a national monument. Heaton owns his family's 48,063-acre ranch, much of which is within the 917,618-acre Ancestral Footprints Monument. Pacific Legal Foundation attorney Frank Garrison said the purpose of the Antiquities Act is to protect sites such as Native American archaeological sites and not, and not, quote, to give presidents unlimited power to declare vast swaths of land and sea out of bounds for productive use, end quote. This is uh, from Rachel Gable. She's got a, I forget what her podcast is called. It's an ag podcast. I listened to a couple episodes. Pretty decent. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Listen, or I subscribe to too many podcasts. I don't listen to a lot of these, but. Uh, anyhow, I was going to give her a shout out uh because i think they do a pretty good job I, i've i said i listened to a couple episodes and and then i haven't listened back to it since but the the two that i listened to were pretty good um there we go it's called uh the pro ag podcast so shout out to her she's been doing a lot of good reporting on the wolf situation in colorado uh, which I didn't cover today, but I it, it's on my radar. I will continue to report on it as uh, as stuff comes up. I know there's uh, there's been um, sightings and 
and such of the those collared wolves in Moffat County, where which is quite a ways from where they released were released. So um, maybe that'll be a, a story I'll bring back up next week. So I'll uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, the Antiquities Act of 1906 has been used by presidents of both parties as an instrument to preserve and protect critical, natural, historical, and scientific scientific resources on federal lands. After signing it into law, President Roosevelt used the Antiquities Act 18 times to establish national monuments. Those first monuments included what are now known as Grand Canyon National Park, Petrified Forest National Park, Chaco Culture National Historic Park, Lassen Volcanic National Park, Tumacacori National Historic Park, and Olympic National Park, according to the Department of the Interior. Since President Roosevelt, 16 presidents have used the act over 150 times to establish or expand national monuments. Congress may also pass legislation designating national monuments. Currently, the National Park Service manages 83 national monuments. Uh, Bureau of Land Management administers 25, blah, blah, blah. Um, According to the act, the president is to reserve, quote, the smallest area compatible with with the proper care and management of the objects to be protected, end quote. Congress limited the president's authority by requiring congressional authorization for extensions or establishment of monuments in Wyoming. Litigation led to the Wyoming statutory prohibition in 1950 after displeasure with Franklin Delano Roosevelt proclaimed proclaimed Jackson Jackson Hole National Monument in 1943, which later became Grand Teton National Park. Um, according to a release from the Pacific Legal Foundation, in creating the Ancestral Footprints National Monument, President Joe Biden designated entire landscapes, species, plants, and many other objects that go well beyond the scope of the Antiquities Act. This loose definition of object is far beyond what the Antiquities Act permits. The million acres in, uh, encompassed by the monument flouts the act's limit on the size of such designation. Quote, when the Supreme Court declined to hear a previous case challenging a similarly excessive monument designation, Chief Justice Roberts sounded the alarm, noting that a statute permitting the president in his sole discretion to designate as monuments, landmarks, structures, and objects, along with the smallest area of land compatible with their management, has been transformed into a power without any discernible limit to set aside vast and amorphous expanses of terrain above and below the sea, end quote. In Heaton's suit, he alleges, uh, quote, severe regulatory burdens and the threat of criminal penalties for engaging in everyday conduct on the ranch, end quote. The suit claims the proclamation does not satisfy the Antiquities Act's uh, smallest compatible a smallest area compatible requirement. The president's action raise highly political and economic issues and transcend any discernible limit on his authority under the, the Antiquities Act. And the Antiquities Act cannot delegate the president quote power without any discernible with any without any discernible limit to set aside vast and amorphous expanses of terrain and quote as a national monument. 
Pacific Legal Foundation said, in addition to the new regulatory power that comes with the monument designation, <clears throat> the Antiquities Act threatens criminal penalties for harming or removing any protected objects within the one million acre monument. The monument will undermine and perhaps eliminate Heaton's ability to earn a livelihood from the land. All the while, he faces fines and jail times for simply using public and private property as his family has done for more than a century. PLF said ex exceeding limits of the Antiquities Act is simply an abuse of presidential power. According to the suit, the proclamation exposes Heaton to criminal penalties if he appropriate, quote, appropriates, injures, destroys, or removes any feature of the monument, which includes any object listed or listed but undisclosed within the 917,618-acre designation, <coughs> including landscapes <coughs> and anything on those landscapes, end quote. Examples of daily ranch operations that qualify as criminal include removal of tamarack trees to prevent root siphoning from springs, maintenance and clearing, clearing of earthen ponds, uh, using three of the water sources on the ranch for cattle, grazing the grasslands on his ranch, including a ridge named as a projected protected object that is uh, partially on Heaton's private property and any removal of rocks or grass from the area. Heaton is seeking a permanent injunction. So they, it's classic uh, lawfare where you just criminalize everything and, and prosecute it selectively, but where they, they took almost a million acres and then they said, oh, that's, that desert backdrop is a it's a national monument so you can't you can't take take that rock and move it over here you can't take it home you can't clear out these trees uh even though they're using a bunch of your water <clears throat> and they're, they're just they're they're not they're not good for for grazing cattle they uh your, your cattle brush up in there and then, then they're hard to find and and they're sucking water which is I mean that's the lifeblood of your operation is is uh, your water supply. So it's um it'll be interesting to see how he comes out because they've um people that have taken on the feds on on this issue has typically not come out on top. Um I know Trump did a little bit uh to kind of roll this back when he was when he was president. Um I don't but then his uh, his interior secretary, I think he was like a Navy SEAL or something, um, Zinke, um, he got caught up in some some ethics violations or allegations and uh, typical politician shit. So um, who knows? We'll see how this goes. But uh, last story that I've got, a couple stories anyways, same topic. Um, talk about the European farmers because they have... They have gone f like full revolt on uh, on the EU. Um, so this is from Reuters. Uh, tractors roll into downtown Prague as Czech farmers join protests. This is February 19th. So that's today. Hundreds of Czech farmers drove their tractors into downtown Prague on Monday, disrupting traffic outside the agriculture ministry as they joined protests against high energy costs, stifling bureaucracy, and the European Union's Green Deal. 
Farmers across Europe have taken to the streets this year, including in Poland, France, Germany, Spain, and Italy, to fight high prices and low prices and high costs, cheap imports, and EU climate change constraints. Czech farmers are planning to join protests this week, although major agricultural associations distanced themselves from Monday's action, in which tractors blocked one lane of a major road through Prague, slowing but not completely snarling traffic. Several hundred whistling and jeering protesters gathered outside the agricultural ministry yelling shame and resign. We came today uh, most mainly because of the bureaucracy around farming. The paperwork is on the edge of what is bearable. The 28-year-old farmer Lucas Melichowski said while in the line of tractors. Another, Tim Tim will love this one. I'll have to tell him to listen to this. But another farmer, Vojtek Schwartz, said cheaper imports did not face the same scrutiny as domestic production. Quote, they have a different starting line because they we are seen overseen by a million officials. In quote, the government has said the organizers of Monday's demonstration have little to do with real farming. Um, well, they they got tractors. I mean, they do look pretty, pretty new and shiny, but that's, I mean, that's not new for for farmers. They're they like their tractors shiny. Um, quote: Today's demonstration does not have much in common with the fight for better conditions for farmers. Prime Minister Peter Fiala said on X social media platform, adding some of its organizers were pro-Russian and had other political aims. Of course, you gotta you gotta throw the the Russian boogeyman in there as well. Uh, we are negotiating with those who represent farmers, Fiala said, meaning the giant companies. Uh, the Agrarian Chamber or AK plans to plans protests alongside other European farmers at border crossings on Thursday and was not part of Monday's tractor protest. <clears throat> its main complaints are EU farm policy, market distortions, and low purchase prices coming from surpluses amid cheap imports from outside the block. Farmers also complain of costs associated with the EU's climate change fight laid out in the Green Deal, which sets out agriculture regula regulations for the bloc's 27 members for decades. Quote, farmers are desperate in this hopeless situation and do not know what they should expect in the near future, let alone the distant one, uh, a.k.a. President uh, Jan Dolezal said last week. I wonder if he's related to Rachel Dolezal. Could be. She's white. She pretends to be black. Apparently she's got an OnlyFans now, too. Um, anyway, that's a different story. Well, maybe we'll bring that up on, on fence post politics. In Slovakia, farmers were due to protest this week to push the government to help the sector, angry over late subsidies, uneven aid, or ch cheaper non-EU imports, including from Ukraine. Tractors took to the streets... Uh, took to some streets already on Monday with TASR news agency reporting farmers had blocked the main border crossing between Ukraine and Slovakia for one hour. Earlier this month, Polish farmers blocked roads across the country and at border crossings with Ukraine, kicking off a month-long general strike to protest against EU policies. <clears throat> so 
from what I gathered, Ukraine produces a ton of wheat. They are not in the EU. Like, they're working on becoming part of the EU. Um, and I probably, we'll see how this war ends up, but I, I won't be surprised if at least part of what we now know is Ukraine uh, ends up joining the EU. But the the all the other EU countries are, I mean, you kind of you kind of have to think of it like uh, like the U.S. like the United States government. So you have the fifty states, which have their own sets of laws, but then they're all governed under the umbrella of the U.S. Constitution, um, which is facilitated facilitated by the the federal government. Where these are all independent countries, which is what the states initially were in the in the United States, still. A lot of people consider it that, but that's that's neither here nor there. But so you have all these independent countries like France, Germany, Spain, Slovakia, Czech Republic, uh, Sweden, all all of them. They have their own laws within their country, but then they're they're governed under the umbrella of the European Union, which acts like kind of like the the federal government here, I suppose, is the best way I could put it. Um. So, and this is from Euractive News. Um, yeah, Euractive.com. I've never never read anything from here, but uh, farmers in Eastern Europe set to protest as EU moves to extend Ukraine trade benefits. So, Ukraine produces a lot of wheat. Uh, traditionally, it, most of it goes to, like, Africa, but they're having this war, particularly over the Black Sea, like, Ukraine wants Crimea back. Russia's not giving up Crimea. And there is uh there's essentially kind of a, a semi blockade on on Ukraine in the Black Sea, which is where they would export their grain to Africa. Um now they're they're selling it into the EU and the EU's allowing it to essentially flood the, the European market which drives the price of grain way down and it hurts their their own farmers. And that's what these protests are about. Plus all the climate change bullshit. Uh, they, <clears throat> they got rid of uh, a diesel subsidy for, for farmers and their, their input costs are, are going way up. So tensions are rising over the renewal of the EU's trade liberalization with Ukraine uh, with the European Commission meeting with neighboring countries on Tuesday, uh, on the 20th, and and a joint protest in Eastern Europe set to take place Thursday. Excuse me a minute. Um, bah, bah, bah. The EU is moving towards extending trade liberalization with Ukraine, the so-called autonomous trade measures, and many farmers have raised concern about Kiev's agricultural products flooding the EU market. Eastern Europe is the hotspot of the protests. The following blockades on the Ukrainian-Polish border, Slovak, Hungarian, Lithuanian, Latvian, and Czech farmers are coordinating with the Polish to take to the streets on Thursday. The EU-Ukraine cooperation platform set up in 2023 and bringing together Ukraine, Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland, Romania, Slovakia, and the European Commission will meet on Tuesday. 
These countries have been most affected by the influx of Ukrainian products with particular sensitivities around poultry, eggs, and sugar. Hmm. I thought it would have been wheat, but uh, I guess I was wrong. I shows you how much I know about European agriculture. As such, the EU executive introduced safeguard measures, including an emergency break in the case in case the influx of those products from Kiev goes beyond the average import volumes in 2022 and 2023. Several EU farmers' organizations are calling for the extension of the safeguard to cereals, oil seeds, and honeys with a pre-war reference period. Con- contacts be- continue between the Commission and all the affected member states. European trade spokesman Olaf Gill said on Monday adding that the group would try to find, uh, quote, lasting medium to long-term solutions within the coordination platform. The forum was set up last June by by the EU executive to, quote, improve the flow of trade along the corridors, end quote, in neighboring countries. To date, several unilateral bans on Ukrainian products remain in place in Slovakia, Hungary, and Poland. Um... And the first debate on the renewal of trade, the first de- debate on the renewal of trade de- benefits took place on Monday in the Trade Committee at the European Parliament, where the rapporteur on the file, the European People's Party MEP Sandra Kalnite, presented a text without amendments to the Commission's proposal. So they're just wanting to. Just renew it, it sounds like. Um, during the meeting, several MEPs questioned the timing of the commission's proposal. The commission prepared this proposal at the very last minute and threatened us with the prospect of the current measures expiring, said Merrick Belka, vice president of the Socialists and Democrats Group for Trade. Similarly, uh, similarly, similarly, Romanian EEP, MEP, Oh, come on. Iuliu Winkler said the EU executive was late and invoking urgency. The possibility of improving the commission's proposal without amendments has drawn sharp criticism from farmers' organizations across Europe. On Wednesday, it will be the turn of the EU countries to discuss the issue. According to the diplomatic sources, a wide majority of member states do not want to amend the pro- proposal either. So they're just like, nope, we're helping Ukraine, and fuck you farmers. That's, uh, we just gotta, we gotta stick with Ukraine. Um, anyways, it's, um, it's pretty dicey over there. They, um, those farmers are pissed. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, in the long run, the the farmers win, but it, is it going to be the ones that are protesting now? Um, I don't know. Like, hopefully, they don't start throwing them in jail and shit. Um, but at some point, they got to have food, and uh, if you're driving them out of, and, and that's it, seems to be what the the point of all this, like the Green Deal initiatives there in in the EU, like they're huge focuses on on agriculture and farming in particular and like where do you think your food comes from uh it's it's astounding to me but we'll see how it plays out um even the world of agriculture is crazy as hell nowadays so um 
something to take note of for the future. But um, that's all I got for you this week. Um, we'll, uh, I'll try to put another one out next week. We we'll, should have Fence Post Politics. And, um, yeah, we'll see what else we got for you on the menu. But thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you as, as always. This has been the Friggin' Farm and Ranch Report for Monday, February 19th, 2024. Now move your ass or burn in daylight. You rise up in the morning beneath the stars so bright. Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horses kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine. You'll get your ass moving somewhere, burning daylight. Get your ass moving somewhere burning daylight.